Well, hello, Crossroads. I just want to say, oh, thank you. I just want to say my family and I are very humbled here to be here this morning to study God's word together. I'd like to say hello to all of you who are worshiping with us here in the Newburgh campus. Also, hello to those who are worshiping online with us and also at the West Campus. Last weekend, Andrew Bondarin kicked off a brand new series entitled Jesus People. And he shared about the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that conquered sin and death and took the sting of both of those away from us, from all mankind. And he didn't just share that message because it was Easter Sunday. He shared that message because that is our only hope. And he talked about Jesus people are people of hope. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And the book of Ephesians has some major themes that we want to look at together as a group of people who have been called by Jesus and are called to follow Jesus. And so if you have a Bible with you today, or if you want to use the one in the seat back in front of you or underneath the seat of the West Campus, maybe you have it on your phone or another device, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to stop there just in the first chapter, the first verse, and uh, learn a little bit about what Paul wants to say to us today as we think about being Jesus people. Listen to how Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing a letter to a group of people that he had spent about three years serving to and with in the town of Ephesus. You can read a lot about his visit there and his time there in the book of Acts chapter 19. But the city of Ephesus was a very significant city. It was known for commerce, but it was best known for a large temple that resided in the heart of the city. It was a temple to a pagan god named Diana or Artemis. The people of Ephesus knew about worship because worship was all around them. They took great privilege and great pride in being the protector of the temple of Artemis. And Paul picks up what I think is maybe his most powerful weapon, the pen, and he writes them a letter from his heart because he wants them to understand how to practically follow Jesus in every aspect of their life. The early manuscripts do not include the, the words in Ephesus because Paul intended for this letter to not just be read by those in Ephesus, but to a, a much larger audience. It was to be passed around to all the churches in those days, and I think Inspired by God, he wanted us today to hear and understand his words to them, that God was speaking to us. And so let's continue. Continue there in verse 3. Listen to what Paul has to say about how we can become people of worship. He begins in verse 3 by saying this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us on, in the one that he loves. Hmm. Let's go on to uh, verse 7. 
In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the richness of his God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He, according, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in, in effect when the time reached its fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, he says this, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to his plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, who were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul begins this entire section with a call to worship. In the original language of Greek, this passage we just read together is actually one sentence. Talk about a run-on sentence, right? It is chock full with all kinds of theological truths that help us lay the bedrock foundation of our faith and teaches us how to practically follow Jesus in our life. The directive that Paul begins with, he says, praise God, bring him blessing, bring him honor, bring him glory because he is worthy of it. David, throughout the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, wrote these calls to worship. And he gives us a, a, a clear picture of why we should worship God. And when we put that together with the whole counsel of scripture, we come to understand this about worship. That worship is praising God for who he is and what he has done. Paul gives several descriptions of just who God is in the verses that we just read. One of the first things that Paul says is that we should praise the God. I think it's important that we look at that T-H-E because Paul's making a very powerful statement. There is one true God, and that is God Almighty. And he's the one who is worthy of our worship. The Bible is very clear that, that God is a jealous God. He doesn't tolerate us worshiping other things. He's jealous for our affections. And so Paul begins by saying, let your worship be directed to the God. He also describes God as being our father. There's a strong emphasis throughout the entire book of Ephesians about God's fatherhood in our life. And when I say that, I know some of you begin to bristle because of the relationship you might have or not have with your earthly father. And it's hard for you to think about somebody who's trustworthy. Somebody who has your best interest in mind. Somebody who, who loves you and cares for you because that's not an experience you've had here on earth. I think it's interesting that Jesus makes a great recommendation of his own father to us when he says in Matthew chapter seven, verses nine and 11, he says, which of you, if, you ask, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, God as a Father is trustworthy. He wants what's best for you and he's willing to go to great lengths to demonstrate his love for you. Paul also mentions that 
that, that God is our creator. In earlier, he says, even before the creation of the world, even before he created the world, the NLT version says, God was the source of all things. He's worthy of our praise because of all he's created. I love living in the Midwest because we get to experience all four seasons. I love the winter and I love thinking about the uniqueness of every snowflake. I love the spring when you see great things burst into new life. I don't like mowing my yard every three days, but I like to see things are in bloom and they're growing again. I love the summer. I love sitting on the back porch when there's a thunderstorm because it reminds me just how powerful our God is, that, that he causes the lightning to flash and the thunder to roll. And I love, probably like you, the, the colors of fall. When I look at all those colors just bursting into existence. I think about how creative God is. I think about how powerful, how, how awesome he is. Romans chapter one, verse 20 says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what he has made so that men are without excuse. You see, when we look at creation, we should worship God for who he is and for what he has done. God is powerful. He's holy. He's worthy of our worship because of his character. The list goes on and on and on, my friends. When I think about trying to get to know God, it's like hugging a redwood tree. The harder I try to get my arms around it, the larger I realize that tree is, right? And that's our God. And that's why he's worthy of our worship this morning. But I also think that Paul wants us to worship God because of all that he's done. And in the other verses of that we read, Paul just lists all the things that God has done for us. And he begins by saying that, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Throughout the book of Ephesians, you're gonna, have, you're gonna notice that Paul keeps lifting our eyes from the earthly things and directing them toward the heavenly things. While we're blessed in so many ways materially, and they're from the same source, God, who gives everything, our focus, especially our worship, should be about the spiritual things that God has given us at least first. And he has poured out so many blessings in our life. Paul also says that he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. By saying chosen before creation, we know that this wasn't a haphazard decision by God, that he wanted us before he wanted anything else in all creation. And that sets us apart. It sets us above all created things. And God chose us over everything else. Paul also uses a, a kind of a word that's caused controversy. He says that God has predestined us. And hundreds, if not thousands of years of debate have, have been around this topic of predestination. Does that mean that God has predetermined who will be saved and who will, be not, who will not be saved? And my personal opinion on that is that's not what predestination means. What predestination means is that God had an idea of what our lives should look like before he created us. And that was to be holy. He chose us before creation to be holy. He predestined before creation that we would be holy. And the only way that we can be holy is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's why I think Paul continues to list these things that he has done for us. He says in verse five that God adopted us 
as his children. I'm blessed to have been part of a family of four siblings. When my mom and dad first got married, they were quickly told that they would not, to be, they would not be able to biologically have children. Because they had huge hearts and they wanted a family, they decided to choose to go an adoption route. And so pretty soon after my parents were married, they brought home my oldest sister and uh, right out of the hospital. She was brand spanking new and she was their first child. About 18 months later, they went to a foster home and they picked up my oldest brother and they brought him home and they thought that that would be their existence for the rest of their life. Uh, two children, a boy and a girl, they felt overwhelmingly blessed. And then about seven years later, my mom got sick. Uh, she thought she had the flu. And so because she wasn't getting better, she decided to go to the doctor. And when she went to the doctor, the doctor asked a simple question, Miss Heller, you wouldn't happen to be pregnant. And she quickly dismissed that because many of doctors had told her she would not be able to ever bear a child. And he said, would you humor me by taking a pregnancy test? And so she obliged him. And sure enough, my mom didn't have the flu. She had a baby in blue. And you're looking at the, the flu that my mom had, right? Yeah. My dad reminds me often that there are ways to get over the flu, but 45 years of dealing with me, he's not found a remedy for that yet. Well, here's what's even crazier. About eight years later, my mom got the flu again. And you probably know what's happening. It wasn't the flu that day either. It was actually my baby brother, Seth. This is the way I see the story. First of all, I think my mom and dad love my sister and brother much more than they do me and my younger brother. Why? Because they chose them. They went to the hospital determined that they were wanting a child and they wanted that child. They got to go to a foster home and, and select my brother. They chose them. Uh, my brother and I are just, we just kind of happened, right? <laughs> the other part of the story that I like to say is that I'm the miracle and my younger brother's the mistake, okay? That's <laughs> just how uh, we kind of look at it, right? I only reference that because Paul says God adopted us as children. That's a choice. He didn't have to, it just didn't happen. He selected you, he selected me. He selected all of us. He wants to adopt us into his family. Paul talks to the Galatians about that. If you want to flip over just a couple of uh, chapters, you can look back at Galatians chapter four. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians. He says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. In the Greco-Roman world, adoption was really common. It was especially common for uh, an adult who didn't have any children. And the adult would go and usually select a slave, a male slave, and bring the, that child into his and their home and make them their child and give them the kingdom. And that's why Paul says, you and I have been adopted by God. He goes on in verse seven to say that we've been redeemed and ransomed through the blood of Jesus and forgiven our sins. As you and I well know, adoption is expensive. And God's adopting of us was expensive. It didn't cost him gold and silver. It cost him the blood, the life of his only son. He gave up that one son to have many sons and daughters. 
We've been adopted into his family. We have been ransomed and redeemed and we've been forgiven of our sins. That's why we worship God, because of who he is and the incredible thing that he's done in our life. If he had only saved us, that would have been enough. If he had only given Jesus to die in our place, that would be enough for us to scream and shout and dance and praise God for who he is and for what he has done. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. He just keeps giving and giving. He keeps loving and sharing. Paul says in verse eight, he's lavished on us the riches of his grace. Tim Hawkins is one of my favorite uh, Christian comedians. And he said that one of his lifelong ambitions is to go to a Krispy Kreme where they make the donuts and to lay on the conveyor belt and have the icing cover his entire body from head to toe and then to lick it all off. That's his favorite life ambition. You know, we have been praying on our end about this opportunity. I appreciate the prayerful spirit that Crossroads has had in this. And we've been asking God to show us. And we've seen a couple signs. On our first visit back here to Crossroads just a few weeks ago, my wife saw a sign. It was the fact that Walmart has a pickup here in Newburgh. And in Noblesville, we have to go in and get our own groceries. So we see this as a sign. Yesterday, I, I took a little run. I like to run, and so I was running some of the back roads over by our hotel, and I saw a Krispy Kreme, and the light was on. It was red, and I thought, that's a sign. I hear you calling me, Lord. I hear you calling me. You know, I want you to have that picture that Tim Hawkins has about that conveyor belt. I think that's what it feels like to be lavishly loved by our great God. He says that we have been God has made known to us the mystery of his will. That mystery that was perplexing to the Ephesians was that how could God love Jews and Gentiles? That didn't make sense to them in that early world. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. We know what that means. We've, we've We've seen the mystery come alive because we know the difference that God's made in our life. But Paul says that's a reason that you should worship God because of what he's done in your life. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit and given us an inheritance of eternal life. I could talk all day about that. The list goes on and on and on and on. But I think this morning, I just want to focus on verse 14, what Paul says, that God has given us a purpose. And that purpose is to bring praise and glory to God. He started there in verse three when he called us to worship with this doxology that was used in in the worship in those days in the synagogue. And he wraps up this section of scripture by saying it belongs, all the glory, all the praise is directed toward God. And so the question for us this morning is how do we do that? If we know who to worship, God, for all that he has done, how do we worship? And so I wanna challenge us this morning to live lives of worship. That's how we become Jesus people who are people of worship, by living it out every day and in every way. Paul David Tripp says this, human beings by their very nature are worshipers. Worship is not something we do, it defines who we are. You cannot divide human human beings into those who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what or whom we serve. We're really good at making up things to worship. For thousands of years, people have created false gods, gods that aren't the God we've been talking about this morning and have come up with all types of ways to worship them. And you and I probably are a little more prone to worshiping things that are ultimately good, 
but they just get put on the throne that only God belongs on. Things like our family. Our family are great, but often so many times we elevate our family and their needs above our God and what he desires from us. Work. We were created to work. The Garden of Eden describes that very clearly. But when we put work or maybe what we can gain from work, like wealth or popularity or or influence or or other things, those become the motivating factor. And that's what puts work on the throne that only God belongs on. We can put our image there. We can put our reputation. Anything created instead of the creator is misdirected worship. And Paul says, we worship God for who he is and what he's done in our life. And so he challenges us how to do that. In Romans 12, verse one, he says this. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, because of all he's done for you, is what the NLT will say, offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So let's unpack what does it look like to be people of worship, offering our lives to God for all he is and all he has done. Well, the first thing I think we wanna look at is how are we people of worship at church? Being, worshiping God at church is all about being participant. Notice there's not an A in front of that. I'm using the adjective use of participant. It means that they're, they're engaged, they're sharing in, they're participating in. Worship is an active sport. Last week, Gallup poll released a report that said church attendance has dropped over the past 20 years by 20%. One of the largest plummets that that they have noticed in, in the past like 25, 30 years of researching people who go to church. So it led a person like me who's a church leader to ask the question, why? Why have people stopped thinking it's important to go to church? I think the issue is relevancy. Not so much relevancy of what we do in this room about how to make God's word relevant in today's culture. Well, I believe with all my heart that that's a very important critical issue for church leaders today. But I think the bigger issue of relevancy is how to connect what we do on the weekends to the weekday. To connect Saturday and Sunday to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday again. That's really where our worship becomes alive. What we do in this room is really important. But it's never meant to be a spectator sport. The people who are on this stage are not the performers and you sitting in any room, the audience. We are all participants directing our worship to one audience. And that is God Almighty, who's worthy of our worship. We have to be active participants. There's no sitting on the bench when it comes to worshiping God. You can say, well, I'm not really into music. or I really don't know much about the Bible. or I really don't know how to pray. Those are not excuses to get in the game. We all are called to be people of worship. Several years ago, I was teaching a young believers class, a new believers class. And so every week we would give the assignment to read some scripture and to come back and tell us what you had learned. And so at the beginning of every class, we would open class by saying, hey, how was your week? And I'll never forget this. A guy named Robert came in and I said, how was your week? And Robert spoke up first. He said, I had a great week. I was like, well, why don't you tell us about that? And so he said, well, the other day I was churching at work. And I said, excuse me? You were doing what at work? He said, I was churching. I said, I've never heard the word church used as a verb. Can you tell me what you were doing? He said, well, I learned that a a coworker of mine is also a Christ follower. 
And we were standing over the copier and we just started talking about something that we had learned in our Bible study. We, I was reading some scripture and I, I told him about it. He was reading some scripture. He told me about it. He told me about his mom who had been diagnosed with cancer and I prayed for her. Like we were encouraging each other and, and wrestling with some things about how to live for God in our workplace. He said, we were churching. And I said, I'll never think about the word church the same way again. I think church should be a verb. And when you and I gather to worship, we should lean in, we should participate, we should join in. Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church in North Carolina says this, what happens on the mountain can't stay on the mountain. What happens in here can't stay in here. And so as we become worshipers as a congregation, we need to be active participants. Second of all, worshiping God at home means being consistent. It's easy to just show up and join in here at church and just kind of stand up, sit down. We can kind of know the drill. We know the answer to every question at church is Jesus, right? We can just kind of go through the motions, but that's not worship, my friends. Jesus told the woman at the well that true worshipers are those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They're the kind of worshipers that God's looking for, is what he told that woman. True worship is authentic, it's real, it's consistent. And there's no other better place to worship God in a consistent way than at home. When I was a young boy, I grew up in Kentucky and I had some dear friends in our neighborhood and we played a lot together. We spent many a summer day just burning it up, just causing all kinds of havoc in the foothills of Kentucky. And I remember one of my friends, he had a clubhouse in the back of his house and we used to go there and hang out. But as we got a little older, say like 10 or 12, the clubhouse kind of lost its appeal. One day I went to visit my friend to hang out and I saw a group of guys who were in the clubhouse. That struck me a little weird because some of them were teenagers and most teenage boys don't hang out in the clubhouse in their backyard. As I got closer to the clubhouse, I could see they were having a pretty good time in there and I wanted to know what was up. And so when I went in, I noticed quickly that they were looking at some images in a magazine that I'd never seen before. And almost 32 years later, I've never been able to forget. See, my friend had found his dad's stash of Playboys and other pornography, and they were sharing them around that day. And it's only by the grace of God that that moment in my life didn't spiral into a lifelong addiction of pornography and other sexual sin. I sing to God for his grace and his protection in my life in those moments. But you know, that wasn't the most devastating thing that happened that day, seeing those images. The most devastating thing to me was the reality that those magazines belonged to my friend's dad, who was an elder at the church where my dad was serving as pastor. And I'll never forget that. And I'm grateful not to just be saved from that kind of lifestyle, but I'm also grateful that I have a dad who is the same at the pulpit and at the kitchen table. I was able to see a man who's consistent in his worship for God. And it, I noticed. I noticed that he was the real deal and I wanted to be just like him. In fact, I still do. And I wanna be a dad that my kids look at and say, I wanna be like him because I see Jesus in him. He worships, not just on Sunday morning when the music's playing, but he worships all day, every day. And it's consistent and it's real. If you're a parent, your kids are watching and they wanna know, is it real or not? They wanna know if you're a worshiper. If you're a Jesus person, you don't have any option. You worship at church, you also worship at home. 
I think we also need to figure out how to worship at work. Much like my friend Robert, we need to be people who are worshiping at work. And to do that, I think it's about being diligent. When I lived here uh, several years ago, uh, one of my favorite days of the week was Tuesday. Every Tuesday morning, I went over to Morgan Avenue and went to Great American Bagel. And I met a group of guys there who were just some fellow youth leaders and also some uh, area church youth leaders from the community. And we would sit there, we'd read books, we'd eat a bagel, we'd talk about how to be better leaders, how to love kids, how to move God's kingdom first. And a guy who was a regular there is a friend of mine named Kevin. In fact, Kevin went to Great American Bagel every day of the week. He was there Monday through Friday. If I ever wanted to find Kevin in the mornings, I knew where to find him. And he told me the story. He said, after several weeks of, of being there, he noticed a guy who would always stare at him and kind of just have this peculiar look. And so one day this man said to my friend Kevin, I've been watching you for several weeks and I'm confused. I don't know who you are. I see you have a, a Wall Street Journal and a Bible. I don't know if you're a businessman or a preacher. And Kevin's response was beautiful. He said, why can't I be both? I think that's what it, it looks like to worship at work. That people aren't sure if you're a preacher or a businessman because you're both. That your preaching just doesn't end uh, on the weekend. It actually is a part of your life. You're displaying the glory of God in everything you do. You know, the world is watching, not just our children. And so the person you turn in your expense report to, they, they know that you're at church here today and they wonder why you don't have integrity when you turn in those numbers month after month after month. When your boss wonders why you're not real engaged or motivated or where you're the one who's always sloughing off, he wonders about an honest day's work for an honest day's pay and you call yourself a, a Jesus person. And in his mind, it, it's confusing. Is it confusing in a bad way? What would the world look like if those of us who were Jesus people were people who could be counted on in the workplace, people of integrity, people who are hardworking, people who gave their best? I think that's why Paul told the Colossians in, 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 in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ that you're serving. I think one of the most beautiful expressions of worship that I've seen so far in my visit to Crossroads this weekend happened unannounced on Friday evening. Because we hadn't been here in a long time, uh, we got to come and tour the building just privately with our family. And as we walked the halls, I met a lady named Kathy. She actually is employed by the church to handle facilities. She works uh, mostly when no one else is here. And Kathy had no idea we were arriving that night, but she knew us, she knew our names. She welcomed us. She went back through the building to which she had already cleaned and turned on lights and opened doors and made us feel like we uh, were, were welcome and anticipated. And as she did that, you could just hear her singing and whistling around the halls. And I thought right there, that's what it looks like to worship God at work. And I think it challenges all of us to live lives that are pleasing and honorable to God by being diligent in our workplace. One last thing I wanna look at today is how do we worship God in this community? I think that's all about being compassionate. You know, most of us know that on January 10th, 2012, a magnitude seven earthquake rocked the country of Haiti. It hit near Port-au-Prince and brought utter destruction to an already poverty-stricken country. My wife who has several friends from high school that she's reconnected with on Facebook, many of them not believers, one of those unbelievers said, oh great, 
Now a bunch of Christians are going to fly to Haiti and start passing out Bibles. That's kind of the reputation we have, you know, as Jesus people. We're really big on truth and we're not so great on grace. We want to speak the truth, but we often don't do that in love. And oftentimes we're not real quick to offer love in very tangible ways. But I think that's maybe one of the greatest ways that we could worship God in our community. Because James was very clear to point out you can't have faith without works. They're both cemented. If you call yourself a Jesus person, it's not just recognizing him as Lord. It's actually living that out. And that has to be as a conduit of God's love anywhere and everywhere we go. And that's why Jesus says, if you see somebody thirsty, give them a drink. If you see somebody hungry, feed them. If you see somebody naked, give them clothing. If you see somebody in prison, go visit them. He was saying, that's what it looks like to worship. That's what it looks like to worship me because when you're doing that to others, Jesus says, you're doing that to me. I think that's why the message paraphrase translates John 1 verse 13 by saying, Jesus put on flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The incarnation was not just limited to Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet in this community. And if people wanna see Jesus, yes, they can join us on the weekend, but what if we join them every day of the week, just being a tangible expression of God's love in their life? That, my friends, would look like worship. Over the past couple of months, I've had to ask, answer this question quite a bit. Why would you go to Crossroads and become the lead pastor? It's a pretty fair, honest question, right? Especially where I find myself right now, right? Uh, preaching to you this morning. So I've had to answer that question in my own heart first and then to others who might ask. And over the past couple of months, as I've been praying for this, we've been praying a very simple and deliberate prayer, consistent prayer. God, if this is right for your kingdom, which includes every church, the one I'm currently serving and any I would serve in the future, God's kingdom, he's the CEO, he's the leader, he's the Lord, he's the head of the church. And if God, if this is best for you, if you can use me to, to further your kingdom, then open the door. God, if this is best for Crossroads, they've been through a lot. They've been had ups and downs over the years, God, but you've been faithful to them. If, if you want me to help lead, God, then, then open the door. And third, if this is right for our family, we have dynamics, just like your family, right? But if God was doing this, we, we just said, just open the door. But in a more specific way, one of the reasons I'm here today is because Crossroads is a place of worship. People at Crossroads know how to worship. I learned how to worship when I was at Crossroads 16 years ago. It started by going to Mexico on a mission trip. And there I realized just how big God is. God is so big that he understands more than just English. He understands Spanish too. In fact, he understands every language, every tribe, every, tribe, every tongue, God understands. He's worshiped by people with white skin and black skin and brown skin. In fact, every color of skin, God is worshiped. He's that big. And that blew my mind as a young 22 year old. I thought, man, if God is that big, he deserves my worship. Crossroads taught me how to worship. And while the people and styles have changed, this place is still a heart of worship. I have felt that in last night's service and certainly this morning already. Crossroads is a place of worship. I'd like to be a part of a place like that. 
Crossroads is also a place where, where God isn't just worshiped on Sunday, but, but he's also worshiped in the homes. And my testimony to that is I see multiple generations worshiping here today where mom and dad have now become grandma and grandpa and multiple generations are worshiping under the same congregation, in the same congregation, because it wasn't just a show on Sunday. It was something that happened Monday through Saturday. And I want my kids to grow up in a place where they see their dad and mom worship God on Sunday and every day of the week. This is a place that's always been filled with people just like Kevin, who the world can't really understand. Are they business people? Are they school teachers? Are they garbage collectors? Are they are civic leaders? Are they just people who work in a hotel anywhere and everywhere? Are they just that or are they also preachers? And this congregation has always been filled with people who understand their salt and light everywhere they go. I, I, I wanna be a part of a place like that. And I know that this church has a strong reputation for being the hands and feet of Jesus. And when I was here 16 years, that was very well displayed in the world around us. We went anywhere and everywhere to serve people in the name of Jesus. But what's really exciting is I see that growing sense of responsibility and passion to do that right here in Newburgh, right here in Evansville, right here in Southwest Indiana. This church is filled with Jesus people. And I would be honored and humbled to serve alongside a group of people who wanna worship God for who he is and for what he has done in their life by just offering their lives as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing, acceptable to God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. I worship you today for being holy, for being powerful, for being patient, for being gracious. God, I could go on and on and on about who you are because I love you for who you are. And God, you've also done so many incredible things in all of our life, God. If you had only saved us, God, that would be enough. And so we just praise you right now for saving wretches like us, that you would take us from darkness into light. You would take us from being slaves to sons and daughters, God. And that's something we worship you for, you for right now. And God, I pray that our worship would not be limited to this moment in this room and in just uh, on Sunday, on the weekends, God, that our worship would be demonstrated, not just when we gather, but also in our homes, in our workplaces, in this community, God, that people would see who you are and they would know what you are doing and, and can do in their life because we give you all the glory and all the praise and honor because you're worthy of it, God. We thank you for Jesus who's reconnected us to you. And God, it's in him and through his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>